Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, if you know me, I've, I've spoke to this before, but uh, one of my favorite foods uh, is bread. I could eat some, sort, some form of bread at every single meal. Um, I remember being a little boy eating at my grandparents' house all the time in their big old farmhouse, and every single meal, uh, no matter what was served, there was always a tub of butter and a plate of bread, and I don't remember my grandfather uh, ever eating a meal without butter bread. Uh, my dad also likes a good piece of butter bread with, with his dinner. And so I think I get my love of bread pr- pretty honestly. Um, I, I used to only eat Wonder Bread. When, when I got out of my parents' house and got into college, I was poor and I ate a lot of peanut butter sandwiches, but I always splurged uh, on Wonder Bread. Uh, n- If you've looked at the price of bread recently, though, you realize that Wonder Bread is pretty pricey. Uh, And in my house, we have five children, my my wife and I, and so there's seven of us. And so every meal, we're kind of feeding a small army. uh, And we don't buy Wonder Bread anymore uh, because it's just gotten a little too expensive. Uh, We actually buy Laura Lynn Bread. This is a, uh, I, wish I, I wish I could pass this around for everyone to, to kind of feel uh, the weight of this, but this is a two-pound loaf of bread, uh, Laura Lynn. Uh, Wonder Bread, I checked the price yesterday at Ingalls when I bought this, is, a, is $2.47 for a one-pound loaf. This is a two-pound loaf that comes in at a whopping $1.87. If we got in a pillow fight and you brought a pillow and I brought this, I, I might win because this is just, just a lot of bread. Uh, my step-grandmother made the best bread I've ever eaten in my life. Now, her bread-making days are over, but I remember being a teenager, uh, and she would make this homemade bread, and my stepmom would bring it home, and it was still just a little bit warm. And I remember grabbing that stuff and putting some butter and some homemade apple butter on it. Man, it just, wow, it doesn't get any better than that. I love bread. Uh, For me, a balanced diet is a piece of bread in each hand. That's how I'm going to balance my diet. I've eaten a lot of bread in my life. But something I want to talk to you about this morning is, no matter how much of this two-pound loaf of bread I eat today, I'm going to be hungry again tomorrow. Like after church, I could consume this whole loaf, but tomorrow at this time, I'm going to still be hungry again. The passage that we're going to find ourselves in this morning deals a lot with hunger and deals specifically with bread. If you're visiting with us, we are in the middle of a series entitled Rediscover Jesus. And today we're going to look at Jesus, the bread of life. And so we're going to be in John chapter 6 today. That's our text. And this chapter records one of the most well-known miracles that Jesus ever performed. It's entitled, The Feeding 
of the 5,000. Now, just quickly, show of hands, how many of you have heard the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Most everybody who's been to church, you, you've probably heard this. It's a very, very popular miracle of Jesus is probably the most popular miracle. In fact, it is one of only two miracles that are recorded in all four gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, one is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but the other one is the feeding of the 5,000. So it's a very, very important event, and I want to look at it together. We're going to kind of go through the text, and then we'll circle back around and, and, and chit-chat about it. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 6. If you use the Version app for your Bible, if you would click on events and then click on Elevate Christian Church. All these scriptures are here, and of course they're going to come up across the screen. So let's begin. John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, we'll pick up in verse 2. And a large crowd was following him, that the him here is Jesus, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. And so there was a lot more people there. Uh, verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. And I want you to notice Philip's answer in verse 7. He says, Lord, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to just get a little. All right, a denarii is a day's wage. So it's what you would make in a day. So I did some research just to kind of put this in perspective. Philip's saying, this is going to be extremely expensive and everybody's only going to get just a little bite. And so if a denarii is a day's wage, I want you to think about our culture. Uh, I, I did some research. The medium income in 2019, so this is a little dated, uh, was $19.33 an hour. Now you times that by eight hours in the average workday, you're at about $154. And you times that by 200 days wages, you're up to $31,000. And so Philip is saying to Jesus, look, we can go buy $30,000 worth of bread and, and we can try to pass it out. But there's so many people here. Everyone's going to get just a little tiny bite. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Let me just pause right there and tell you what every preacher has probably told you on this text. Those are just the men that are there. There are 5,000 men. So most scholars believe there's upwards, when you count women and children there, of 20,000 people. All right, and so what you have is 20,000 people coming towards Jesus. And I tell you this all the time, so let me just remind you, um, you we've got to get this Jesus and his 12 little hippie followers kind of following him around. And he was like small time. Everywhere Jesus went, thousands of people were drawn to him. So what would you do if you saw 20,000 people coming towards you and you knew they were hungry? This is what Jesus is dealing with here. 
Verse 11. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, the loaves he takes are these five little loaves and these two fish that this boy uh, has in his lunch lunchbox. So also the fish, and they ate as much as they wanted. They they had until they had eaten their fill. In other words, this was kind of like an all-you-could-eat buffet of fish and chips. Eat until you're full. He told his disciples, "Gather the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost." So they gathered them and they filled the twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, "This indeed." the prophet who is to come into the world. Okay, so this is quite the miracle here. All these people were fed with this little boy's Lunchable. And there were still 12 baskets of food left over that Jesus uh, multiplied. The crowd was so amazed by this that they wanted to make Jesus their king. Look at the very next verse, verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him, Jesus, by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Here's something that I often remind you too, and I'll just say this in review. We look at that and it gets lost in translation. These people, these 20,000 people were going to grab Jesus by force, thrust a crown on his head and say, you're our king. We'll go to war against the, the, the largest empire the world knows, Rome, because we're going to overthrow Rome and you're going to be our king. Now Jesus knows that he's king, but he also knows that his kingdom is not here on this earth. So he exits. He, he kind of sneaks away from them. Actually, he goes in the text. It's a very long text. I'm going to paraphrase some of it for you. He goes to the other side of the sea. The next morning... These 20,000 people, they wake up and they can't find Jesus. Their stomachs are grumbling again. And so they look to, to find him. Well, they can't find him. Long story short, they go all the way around to the other side of the sea. They find Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, the only reason you're following me is, is for this. Be, because, I, because I fed you. Right? Because everyone loves a free lunch. Right? Now, he says, but the food that you eat, it wears off, and tomorrow you'll be hungry again. And then the day after that, you'll be hungry again, and the next day, and the next day. And he goes on to tell them, listen, that's not why I'm here. I am here to feed you, yes, but I, Jesus, am here to feed the hunger beneath your hunger. I'm here to feed your hungry souls. You're looking at food that spoils and perishes, but I'm here to give you food for your eternal souls. And then we'll jump back in the text at verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Okay, so 
I want to stop and pause for a minute. When Jesus told his followers, which include some of us who are in here, that he was the bread of life, he's giving us a solution. Not just a solution for the physical hunger that we may feel, but for our emotional, mental, and, and, in, and more specifically, the spiritual hunger that we all have. And so with that in mind, allow me to make three simple observations from the text of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Observation number one is very, very simple, very basic, and it's, it's simply this. Humans are hungry. Let me say that again. Humans are hungry. There, there, there's not a person in here, there's not a person watching, there wasn't a person who was at the 9 o'clock service who is not hungry. Now, hunger is often used in the Bible, or, or, or even in our culture, uh, to, to convey a consuming desire. Think about a sports team who, who just never wins, maybe the Falcons, all right? Uh, they are hungry for a win, because they, they don't win very much, and so there's this hunger to win. Or think about an individual who's just had a string of failures, one failure after another. That individual is hungry for success. They have a strong desire to succeed. Or, or, or maybe this is you. Think about a person who's kind of been an outcast, uh, an outcast in their neighborhood, an outcast in their, their own families. That person is hungry for acceptance. And so the Bible often uses hunger and thirst to exemplify these powerful desires that we have. The prophet Isaiah, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah about this in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. I just want you to see this real quick. God says this, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Now, when we read that, I think a lot of us are thinking on the physical here, that God's talking about physical food. But in the text, he's not talking about physical food at all. He's speaking to this deep hunger that every single one of us have inside of our souls. And it's a hunger that cannot be filled by any boyfriend or any girlfriend, no matter how awesome they seem to be. It's a hunger that cannot be filled by any drug, no matter how good it makes us feel. It's a hunger that will not be satisfied by anything material, a new car, a new boat, a new house, more land, possessions. It's a hunger, a craving that's always inside of us, no matter who we're with, what we possess, or where we go. Inside, we are all so hungry. In 2014, there was a, a hit song by an Irish singer named Hozier, uh, and the, the name of the song was entitled, Take Me to Church. Uh, I don't know if you remember that song, or when that song came out, I mean, I loved that song at first. I was like, man, this is a great song. And I thought, well, may, maybe one day churches will even start singing it, right? Because we want people to, you know, take them to church. But then I started listening to the words, and I started doing some research on that song. Do you know what that song is about? It has nothing to do with going to church. 
the entire song is about sex. Lyrically, take me to church is a metaphor where the protagonist, the singer, is comparing his lover to religion. And this song grew out of his frustration with the church's restrictions on sexual activity. The song's about the church putting any kind of restrictions on sexual morality. And he's essentially saying in the song that, hey, our appetites, my appetite for any type of sex should never be restricted. In fact, the, the singer of the song interviewed with the New York Times, and here's what he said, quote, Take me to church is essentially about sex, but it's a tongue-in-cheek attack on organizations, i.e. the church, that would undermine humanity by teaching shame about sexual orientation, that it's sinful or that it somehow offends God. And so you've got this entire song about sex, about how people are hungry for it. And according to Hosier, there, there's no restrictions to be put on it. If people are hungry for it, they should be able to consume it in any way with anyone to fill that appetite. I'm going to read you a, a line from the song because it sounds a lot less churchy when you actually can hear the words. He says this, If I'm a pagan of the good times, my lover's the sunlight. To keep the goddess on my side, she demands a sacrifice. Drain the whole sea. Get something shiny, something meaty for the main course. That's a fine-looking high horse. What you got in the stable, we've got a lot of starving faithful. That looks tasty. That looks plenty. This is hungry work. That phrase just pierces me. This is hungry work. You see, we are all hungry. We have something missing in our souls and we try to fill it with things other than God. Now, the, the singer of this song feels that that hole can be filled and satisf satisfied with sex, uh, but I would submit to you that it cannot. Um, there's these scary statistics out there. Uh, a man that would cheat on his wife and leave her for another woman, or a woman that would cheat on her husband and leave him for another man. Um, when a man or a woman cheats on their spouse with this person uh, because they think that they can fulfill desires in the bedroom or they listen more, or they, they can fill, they complete me more, um, when they leave one spouse to marry this other person, do you know what the divorce rate is for that marriage right there? 75%. Three out of every four. And then what happens is they do it again. Because once a cheater, always a cheater, right? And then they get married a third time. You know what the divorce rate is for that one? 90%. 90. See, there's nothing, including sex, that is going to fulfill the hunger in our souls. This hunger that consumes us cannot be satisfied by anything this world has to offer. Blaise Pascal was this prodigy. He was a mathematician, a physicist, an inventor, a philosopher, a writer, a theologian. Uh, and he's coined with his, this beautiful uh, quote about a God-sized vacuum. And I want to read it to you. He says this, quote, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person. And it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God 
made known through Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is we all have this insatiable appetite, these cravings from deep down in our soul that something is missing and we can't take created things and fill that void. The only thing that can fill that void is not what has been created, but the creator himself, God. The wise King Solomon would say it this way. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, now this is a man who's had a thousand wives, who had palaces and built national parks. I mean, he had more money uh, than anyone knew, had business of, to have. I mean, he had so much money. And he, he had done and sampled and tried everything, but he still had this hole. And so here's what he writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God makes everything happen at the right time. Yet none of us can fully understand all he's done. He puts questions in our minds about the past and the future. You see, what he is saying is that God has put a defense mechanism in your heart and my heart. Every human being has the same defense mechanism. And you know what that mechanism is? Hunger. There's got to be something more to, to life. And so Solomon's talking about the past and the future because that causes a lot of hunger. Where did I come from? Because I wasn't there when this all started. And where am I going? Because I may not be here when this all ends. It's this hunger that's inside of us to know. So point number one, human beings, we are all hungry. Observation number two Jesus cares about our hunger. Look at verses 5 and 6 of our text. Lifting his eyes, Jesus then, and seeing a large crowd coming towards him. I mean, like I said, what would you do if 20,000 people were coming towards you? He said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that the people may eat? You see, Jesus knew they were hungry and they wanted to eat. He said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus says, hey, there's a lot of hungry people down there. What do you think we should do, Philip? What do you, what do you think about this? Even though he already knew what he was going to do. And I love this part of the text because Jesus is acknowledging that he cares for hungry people. He knows I'm hungry. He knows you're hungry. He knows that so many of us will try to fill our lives with things that can't fill us. If I just got the right people around me, or I just have the right job, or the right car, or the right promotion, or a bigger house, or the climb up the corporate ladder, or a new boat, a new iPhone, a new iPad, if I could just go on the right vacation, those things would satisfy me. And most of us have tried those things, yeah? And what we realize is they satisfy for a very short period of time, but then they just leave us hungrier than we were before. And so in the text, Jesus is saying, listen, I care for hungry people because Jesus knows what you and I all know, that if you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. Now, I pray to God you've never had to go through an experience like that, but there have been people that have. If you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. I remember when I was 10 years old, my stepfather went to find work in the coal mines and he was gone for a very long 
time and it was just me and my mom and we we were out of money uh, we were out of food I remember we had a, some potatoes and we ate those raw because the gas was turned off but then we ran out of food and I remember two days going without food as just just as, as a little boy and I couldn't understand it and that's all I could think about at night you know I, I, I would look at a knob on, on on my closet door and I would imagine it was a donut I was just so consumed with food I was so hungry I was desperate, so desperate that the next morning I got up in our car apartment complex and went to the dumpster and started ripping open trash bags, and I actually ate discarded food, garbage, because that's human nature, right? If you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. And Jesus knows this about the human soul. He knows that our souls produce hunger, and apart from God, we're going to starve to death. And that the food this world offers is literally like eating out of, the, out of the trash can. And so this doesn't cause Jesus to be frustrated with us. It actually causes him to have compassion for us. And God sent Jesus to us, birthed out of that same compassion. And so Jesus cares about our hunger. He cares about that deep spiritual desire that we all have in our souls, which leads to our third and final observation from the text. You see, not only does Jesus care about our hunger, but point number three is that Jesus satisfies our hunger. Now, I would say it this way, though some would be in disagreement in our culture, Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy our hunger. Look at John 6, 32 and 33. Before we read it, Jesus is making a shift here uh, in the narrative. He's moving from physical hunger to this deep spiritual hunger, this hung, the hunger beneath the hunger, if you would. So he uses an analogy from the Old Testament, picking up in verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, so if, if you're not real familiar with the Old Testament, uh, Jesus is, is talking about God's people when they escaped slavery in Egypt. They, they got into the, the wilderness and they started, they just complained and griped and moaned and, and, and cursed God and said, let's just go back to Egypt and, and, and go back to slavery because this is terrible. And, and so God says, well, you're going to just wander for 40 years. Well, there's not a lot to eat in the desert. And so what God does is even though they were in sin, God would send this, this substance called manna, this bread-like substance that would fall at night, and they would go scrape it off the ground and, and bake it, and it was enough to, to nourish them and, and sustain them. Okay, well, in the text here, Jesus is comparing himself to the manna that God sends from heaven. All right, and so I want to just point out some similarities very, very quickly. I'm going to move fast, and so if you're an intense note taker and you get you know, lost, email me. I'll send you the notes. Um, but I just want to talk about the comparison of, of this manna that God sends from heaven in the Old Testament and this new manna, Christ, in the New Testament. Uh, number one, real, real quickly, uh, manna came down from heaven. It didn't, it didn't come from earth to heaven. It came from heaven to earth. 
as did Jesus. Christ came down from heaven. That's why verse 33 of our text says, for the bread of God whom he gives came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Secondly, the manna came miraculously. It just overnight, there it was. And we know that Jesus came miraculously. We read of the virgin birth in Luke 1.35, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. Manna came at nighttime, during the darkness of night. Jesus Christ, our manna, came into our darkness. John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Manna was this gift from God to his people. Christ is a gift from God to us. John 6, 32, and Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. One of the interesting things about manna when you study it in the Old Testament is God said, I'm going to build a tabernacle. I'm going to build this tent of worship where I will dwell. And there's this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to put the Ten Commandments in there. I want you to put this staff that Aaron had that just kind of got a flower out of nowhere. But there's one more thing I want you to put in, in, in that Ark of the Covenant to, so the people will remember. You know what that was? It was manna. So he said, go scrape it and put in this golden urn, this jar, and I want you to, to put it in the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, the manna rested on earth, but it was lifted up and it was put in a jar and it was brought into the presence of God in his tabernacle. That's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead and he was glorified in the presence of God. 1 Peter 1.21 whom through all believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. In the Old Testament, the manna was received in their wilderness of sin. Jesus is received in the wilderness of our sin. Manna was for the physical body. Christ is for the spiritual body. John 6, 53, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. In you. In the Old Testament, in order to get the manna, you had to bend down. You literally had to get down on your knees and you had to scrape it off of the ground. All right, we're told in the book of Philippians that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. On, in heaven and earth and, uh, and under the earth. In other words, we, just like those, those people in the Old Testament had to bend down to get the bread of life, it was an act of submission. We bend and we submit our lives to Christ, the true manna. It had to be gathered every day. You couldn't just get a bunch at one time. Every day you had to go out and gather, and we need to feast on Christ daily. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 11, Jesus teaches us to pray this way, give us this our daily bread. The manna was always a sufficient amount. Take what you need. And Jesus is always sufficient. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And the manna in the Old Testament was free. Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our manna is also a free gift. You see, we're at the point in the narrative itself where Jesus is not talking about having a full belly anymore. He's talking about having a full heart, a satisfied 
heart, a heart that's hungry and it's sampling everything it can, 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 it can get its teeth into, but none of it's fulfilling. And he wants to fulfill that heart. He wants you, us to have a heart that is healed and a heart that belongs to God. And then comes kind of the great crescendo of the passage itself. It's one of the, the, the beautiful seven I am statements in the book of John. In verse 34 of John chapter 6, they said to him, well, sir, this, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, you want it, it's yours for the taking. You don't have to walk around spiritually emaciated anymore. You don't have to go to bed hungry, wondering if there's a greater purpose or something you're missing in life. If you have Jesus Christ, you have that life. You don't have to wake up every day wondering, is your soul going to be nourished and fed? You, you don't have to dig through the garbage to eat. He says, I am the bread of life. And you don't have to be hungry anymore. As I told you, we have a large family, and I do, I, I, I love to cook, so I, I cook uh, pretty much all the time. And um, I always, for dinner, make some, some pretty big, uh, elaborate meals. Uh, I mean, you have, to, you have to cook a lot to cook for seven people. Um, but I do this because I, I always want my kids to, to go to bed with a full belly. They've never had to go to bed hungry. And if you haven't had to go to bed hungry, it's, it's really hard to understand the desperation uh, that goes through a person. And so I'm going to admit to you, I overcompensate a bit. Uh, our kitchen is always open, 24 hours a day. It, don't go to bed hungry. In fact, it's kind of a curse because all the cabinets in the refrigerator are, are on this wall. On the other side of that wall, that's uh, where Lindy and I, that's our bed. And so one, two in the morning, I'll hear cat because they're not quiet. They're digging through like little rats. But I don't care because I don't want them to be hungry. I want them to know that, hey, my daddy, my father will always have food at his table. And I want you to understand that your heavenly father, this great God who sent Jesus Christ, sent Jesus Christ for our souls so that we would always have food at our father's table. Amen. Now, what if I cooked one of these big meals and my kids said, you know what? It looks good, but I don't really want to eat that. I think what I'm going to do, Dad, is we're going to go through our, our neighborhood and we're going to dig in people's trash and, and we're, we're just going to eat that way. That would be crazy, right? Insane. I would have to be a really bad cook to, to, for them to do that. I feel like I'm a good cook. It would be the craziest thing in the world. Well, people do that all the time. And hear me. People in the church do this all the time. Jesus says, hey, I'm the bread of life. I can fill you. I won't let you go hungry. But our response is often, well, thanks, but no thanks. I think I'll sift through this trashy world and find something more to fill my soul, something different to fill my soul. And all the while, their souls are hungry and starving to death. Close this thing out, verse 51. 
I want you to notice, and, and, and if you've been paying attention through, your, through this series, you notice that every one of these events, Jesus, there's, there's a common thread. And here's the common thread, verse 51. Jesus says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This whole series is about rediscovering that Jesus is what offers us life, eternal life. When I was a freshman in high school, um, I sat with a group of guys every day at lunch. Uh, and these guys, you know, you know, I was coming out of middle school and go, coming to this big high school. And, uh, you know, half my friends got redistricted to another high school. And, you know, when you go there, you're just a, a little freshman and you're just hoping you find a place to sit where you don't get beat up. And so I found this table, these other freshman guys. But, man, they were so, so negative. I mean, every day they just griped and complained. Every day they made fun of people at those people's expense. And each day just kind of got worse and worse. And I would leave the cafeteria every day just feeling terrible. Well, I remember talking to my friend about it and just saying, man, I wish you and I had the same lunch period so, you know, I didn't have to sit with these guys. Uh, and my friend gave me some incredible, very simplistic advice. He simply said, dude, why don't you just switch tables? And I did that. And I sat with a different group of people who were positive and uplifting. And it really changed the course of my freshman year of high school. And I think this is what Jesus is calling for us to do. Hey, why don't you switch tables? Those of you who have not been with us for a while, we did a series about two years ago, or maybe a year and a half ago, called Wisdom is a Woman. And it was a study through the book of Proverbs. In the entire book of Proverbs, there's two ladies calling for us to come to dinner. Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. And Proverbs says that Lady Folly calls you to, to come eat dinner and the bread is stolen, but and the water is stolen. And, and you sit down with her and eat, but before you know it, you end up in, under her table dead. But Lady Wisdom invites you to come dine at her table. And as you, the bread is sweet and the water is sweet and it it, it nourishes you and it pours life into you. Listen, if you're not getting any traction, if you're feeling soul-tired and depleted and dry and desolate in your walk with God, chances are you're at the wrong table. Chances are you're eating the wrong bread. You're eating stuff that's temporary. And so I want to invite you this morning to switch tables, to, to, to feast on Jesus, the bread of life. Some of you, it may be a first-time invitation. You've wandered in here or someone drug you in here and you're not about the church and you're not about Jesus, but you can testify that life is hard, life is a wreck. It's because you're at the wrong table. I would invite you to come back to or come to the table of Jesus. Some of you, like we all do, may have strayed. Right? You were in covenant relationship with the Lord and you were growing and nurturing and maybe it's because COVID and nobody could see each other for almost a year or whatever. But you have, you have found yourself dry and desolate. You simply just got to come back to the table of our Lord, to Jesus, the bread of life. Maybe it's time for you to switch tables. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com.
Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.